Amen. Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning, everyone. I mean, good, good evening, everyone. <laughs> it's great to be here. Just get my iPad powered up. So, as David said, we're in a series on 1 John, and this is chapter 3. We're going to be starting tonight. We've heard uh, John Paul kicked us off two weeks ago. Don spoke about chapter 2 last week, and then it's me this week. I really want to encourage you to uh, read the book, read the letter. It's five chapters. You could probably read it in 15 minutes, you know, in, in your quiet time or on the way to work, on the bus, on the metro. And, you know, it's a letter. It was written to be read in, in one whole, whole go. So I want to encourage you as we make our way through it. We've only got two more after tonight. That if you can, if you can find the time, just read it from start to finish. I find that really you know, it's difficult with something like Romans, but with something like this, you can really get a, a, a grasp of what was John emphasizing, the themes that repeat themselves. You know, I always think of like, imagine being those churches, receiving this, this letter, opening it up, you know, and reading it. I think that's really helpful. So please do that. Um, I also can't recommend enough going back and listening to the talks that John and Don uh, gave us. Again, if you weren't able to catch them, you can find them on our podcasts, which is in all the usual podcast places. Please do go back and listen to them. Uh, this morning we had Ian Galloway, who um, I think he planted City Church, or he was a leader of City Church for a long time. He spoke in a bow tie, so I can only apologize for my shabby appearance this evening in comparison. I didn't actually know that he'd done that until I came tonight, so I can sort of claim some sort of excuse for not doing that. If I had known, then I, I might have. I do have a bow tie, and it's a real bow tie, which I haven't tied in so long, I've totally forgotten how to tie. So I'd have to just do the sort of trendy end of the night around the, around the neck look if I had worn it. Anyway, enough about bow ties. So um, 1 John chapter 3. This chapter is a great chapter, and it spends most of its time talking about love. And uh, John was the apostle of love, uh, and this chapter in particular focuses on love. And as I was thinking about love, I thought there's probably few words in the English dictionary that have been as watered down as the word love. Uh, and I'm as guilty as anyone. You know, I, I love coffee. Um, I love, what else do I love? I love Fox's jam rings. I just love, I love them. They're, they're so nice. They're loads better than jammy dodgers. You know, the ones you get in like the multi-packs of Fox. I always go for them first. I, what else do I love? I love the heated seat that my car has in, in temperatures like this. So I'm as guilty as anyone of misusing the word love. Uh, the vast majority of songs that we hear on the radio or uh, pop songs that are written about love, about finding love, losing love. I found a study a few years ago by some you know, niche academic that found that 60% of songs in the charts are about love. Adele, Adele's just released a new song, um, which I think is about her divorce, about losing love. Uh, so uh, you may well have songs that are dear to you, pop songs that are about love. Uh, I think my wife Hannah's favorite song about me is Ronan Keating's You Say It Best When You Say Nothing At All. I think that's her, her favorite one. Uh, maybe Dave's as well as my boss. Uh, so, but tonight what I want to say is that however many millions of songs there are about love, however many uh, Shakespeare sonnets there are on love, nothing can ever come close to the words in the Bible that tell us about God's love. This is truth, this is real truth about love and this is what we need to build uh, our lives on. Now I know this uh, might not always be the reality but sometimes in our lives the Bible 
can feel a bit dry, can't it? And actually, we, we looked at other sources about what love. Maybe your favorite film is Love Actually. Um, I've never seen it. I, I hope I never see it, but it might be your favorite film. Uh, but we really need to read and engage with the Bible. And love is so core to who we are as humans. So when the Bible speaks to us about love, we really need to sort of wake up and take, take, uh, take the time to really listen to what the Bible has to say to us. And this book of 1 John has some amazing descriptions about God's love, really deep, uh, deeply moving imagery for us to root ourselves in. So I'm going to quickly just give us a little summary of what we've done. Uh, in the first part of the letter, in fact, this, this, this part of, of 1 John is almost like a division in the book. It's like a sort of, a bit of a break. In the first half, he, he explains the importance of living in the light and he reminds us of some of the conditions of this, and that's what John and Don have looked at. And then in this sort of division in the book, in this second half, he turns his attention away from that, and he begins to focus on how we can develop our spiritual lives. <clears throat> and follow, uh, and it follows a similar pattern to the first part. So I've got a little slide that gives us a little summary. So both parts begin with a statement about God. So God is light, is the first half, and then the first condition that John gives us to live in this truth is to renounce sin, be obedient, reject worldliness, and keep the faith. And then we, we come to this division in the letter. And again, it begins with the truth about God. God is Father. God is Father. And again, it follows that same pattern, to renounce sin, be obedient, reject worldliness, be loving, which is an extra one, and keep the faith. So this is, the book could almost be divided in two at this point. And he repeats that pattern for how we can live authentically as Christians. So I'm going to quickly read to us the little section. And I'm actually only going to speak to us about the first three verses of chapter three. Uh, like Don said last week, there's just so much you could look at. There's so much you could focus on. So I thought if I'm going to give the first three verses uh, what they're worth, then this is all I can manage. But I'm going to read to us actually from chapter 228, because I really feel like it actually went with the first little bit of chapter three. So it says this, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's God's word. And so John has moved from examining God's nature as light into a study of the consequences of that truth for us. What does it mean in our lives? What effect should it have on us that God is light as his followers? And this gives us a little bridge here, 229, because it references new birth. New birth as a work and a gift of God. So we have been born again, regenerated, renewed. So what does it mean for us as a result of that? And he begins this description of God as Father by combining the themes of regeneration and the second coming of the Lord. So I've got a little slide here for this. And it mirrors the end of chapter 2. So chapter 2 ends with the second coming, new birth, 
And then chapter 3 begins with new birth and the second coming. And the technical word for this is a chiasm or a chiasm. And it, it's meant to draw you in. And this is a, you find this little structure across the Bible. Jesus often used it in his parables that he told. It draws you in to the central point. So the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, John is telling us who we are. And he's telling us that we are destined to look like, to think like, to talk like, to act like, and to be like Jesus. That is our destination. That is our destiny. And so up to now, John has given us uh, words of challenge and encouragement. He's encouraged us to find full joy in fellowship with the Father and the Son. He's called us to walk in the light of God, stay close to Christ. He's called us to obey the Lord's command and to love others. And now he says we are to abide in Christ and pursue a righteous life as we live in the hope of his coming. And so in these first few verses, it's so much packed in, as I said. So he says this, and I've got a slide for this. He says, we should be confident in the coming of Jesus. Confident in the coming of Jesus. We should be certain that we are his children. We should be conformed into the likeness of Christ. And we should be consistent in our consecration or holiness, our pursuit of becoming like Jesus. So chapter 2, as I said, ends by saying, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So we are to be confident in the fact that Jesus is coming back. I know that sounds really obvious. If you've been in church a long time, we, we, we talk about it. But are you confident in the fact that Jesus is coming again? Be confident, John says. And when he does, it won't be a moment, John says, for us to shrink back. You sort of think of <clears throat> like, you know, like an angry parent coming back and he's like, and you've messed the house up. I, um, I, I had a mate who, when we were growing up, he was making sticky toffee pudding and I think he bought a can of uh, it's like condensed milk and, he, and he's boiling it in the pan and it exploded. And it's really lucky that he wasn't next to it because that could have been quite serious. And he basically coated the kitchen in molten milk and, it, and that doesn't come off. And so he then, he then had to redecorate the kitchen before his parents came back. And he managed it. I mean, obviously they found out because it looked different. But, you know, it's like, I think sometimes, like, we, we think of Jesus coming back like that. We think of, like, you know, oh, I've got to sort myself out. And I've got to clean up the mess that I've made. And John says, no, we should be confident in him coming back. We won't have to shrink back. It won't be a moment of fear or dread or shame. It will be a glorious union with Jesus. My wife and I, Hannah, we have two daughters and our eldest, Layla, is five. And I uh, do the school run uh, in the morning with her. And this often seems to be a time when she strikes up conversations of like deep theological uh, consequence and uh, all sorts of things that I don't know how to answer. And on, uh, this week, on Wednesday, out of the blue, she said, Daddy, will there be sadness in heaven? And I think that's a brilliant question. That's such a great question. Um, and so I say, that's a great question. So I begin to explain that the Bible says that in heaven, every tear will be wiped away, that there will be no sadness, no pain, no sickness. And then this conversation develops. The traffic was particularly bad, which is bad for me because it means there's more time for questions. Uh, and, and we begin to move into the concept of the Trinity. She loves asking me about the Trinity. And that is a really hard concept to explain. It's hard to explain to an adult, let alone a five-year-old. I always end up 
lumping for the fairly bad triangle analogy. We can say, you know, it's one thing and there's three points, but uh, don't judge me. Uh, and anyway, and then eventually we end up talking about the new heaven and the new earth that will come down like Revelation tells us. This, this is a ridiculous conversation. And anyway, during this conversation, I say that when we get to heaven, we'll be face to face with Jesus, that we will meet him, unified with him. We will live with him. And she begins to get very excited. And she begins to chant at the back, I want to go to heaven now. I want to go to heaven now. And I'm thinking, I'm glad no one else can hear this because it could be interpreted in so many different ways. But you know, as I, I, you know, I drop her off and then I take a deep breath and just sit in a, a dark room. But I was reflecting on this and I thought, I just love that childish, we would call it naivety, but maybe it's something much more holy and pure than that. That the, the concept of being with Jesus was so glorious to her and her five-year-old mind that she thought, well, I just want, to, I want it to happen now. I want to be in the presence of God now. And what a challenge that is to us as adults. As we fill our days with busyness and jobs and stress, I found it an inspiring conversation to rekindle that sense of anticipation. You know, my fear is that for some of us, if we got the chance to say, right, Jesus could come again right now, some of us, the first thought we would think is, I hope he comes again, but as long as I finish, what's that last episode of that series on Netflix that I've committed the last six months to? Or I hope he comes again when I've cleared my inbox. Or do you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm being a bit facetious there. But we get so wrapped up in all these other things, and I really, I loved that from her. And so these last verses in chapter 2, into chapter 3, it begins with this wonderful statement where John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. You can almost, I, mean, I know he was writing it, so he wasn't speaking it, but you can almost hear John raising his voice at this point as he exhorts us to come and see the overwhelming love that God has for us. Come and see. Come and see it. See it for yourselves. Don't just read about it. Don't just believe it. Come and see it. You know, I love spending time in the mountains and the fells, like the Lake District or the Scottish Highlands. And sometimes if you're out for a walk with someone else, one of you might get to the top just before the other, or you're going up and suddenly the view opens up and you'll turn around and you'll say, come and see, come and see this amazing view that's opened up. And this is what I thought of as I read these words by John. The Greek word for see here, interestingly, means both see with your eyes and also with your mind. See with your eyes and also with your mind. So it means to become acquainted with, to perceive, to experience. In Matthew 4, as Matthew describes the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, he quotes Isaiah by saying, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And it's the same Greek word that John uses here. So the love of God is so overflowing, so effervescent in the person of Jesus and the revelation of him now through the Holy Spirit, that we should be able to see it with our eyes and perceive it with our minds. To see it with our eyes and perceive it with our minds. It's tangible. It's real. It's not just an emotion. It's not a theory. It's not just an idea. It is a reality that we can see. So I ask you, do you feel like right now you can see the love of God in your life? Do you feel like you can see it? Do you feel like you can perceive it? Is it a tangible reality? Or is it something that you feel like you only read about? 
John says, come and see. Come and see it. And John tells us that the Father's love for us is a forever love. And its results have two implications. First, we are now called children of God. We are called children of God. And secondly, that is truly who we are. Because we know in life you can often be called something that you're not. You know, we've all been to school and we may all have been called all sorts of names at school. That's not who you are. So John tells us we are called children of God and secondly, that is who we are. We bear his name. We have his nature. Once we were slaves to sin, but now we are children of God. What an amazing truth. And what's great about this reality for us is that there is no place for either inferiority or superiority. There's no place for inferiority or superiority. I am who I am because of God's grace. He has adopted me. He has regenerated me. And so I need to cultivate humility in my life for that reality. Nothing I have done has earned me my place in the kingdom of God. So that should cultivate security and certainty. No room for superiority. But on the flip side of that, there's no room for inferiority. Because I am a child of God, and that is who I am. And so are you. And so there's no reason to discount yourself. There's no reason to talk yourself down. Say, I can't do this because I'm not a holy person. You know, I can't share the gospel because I don't know the answers. You are a child of God. It's guaranteed. And that's the very essence of the gospel here, right in front of us. Without God, I am lost and broken. But because of God's love, I am restored and made whole. So good. In the vineyard, we talk about the now and the not yet. And often we do that in relation to miracles and healing because we know that Jesus inaugurated the future age when we will be united with Christ into this age. But we know that sometimes we pray for people and they don't get healed. We know there's still pain and sickness. So we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. But we also have the now and the not yet of us as people. We are being consecrated, we are being sanctified, but it's a process. We are a work under construction, a sort of divine artwork that hasn't yet been finished. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, What I did not see and ear did not hear, what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. It is beyond our comprehension what God has prepared for us. And then it leads us on to this. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. God's grace will be realized in our full, complete, and total glorification in God's presence. I don't know about you, but I find that almost incomprehensible that when we meet Jesus, we will become like him as well. Psalm 17, 15 says this, but I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. We will become like him. So 1 John 3, 2 is the very definition of Christian hope. And then verse 3, John brings in what our natural response to that should be. So verse 2 is the reason for our hope. And verse 3 
is our natural response to it. We should want to become like Jesus. We should want to become holy. Each one of us here and at home who knows Jesus has an unshakable hope. We've talked about this. And therefore, we should not be able to help but respond in that specific manner of becoming more like him. God's love, which is the foundation of our lives, should be the motivation for us to desire to live holier lives, more and more shaped into the person of Jesus. This hope is our confident certainty that God is conforming me into the image of Jesus. God is conforming you into the image of Jesus. And that process will be completed when you meet him face to face and you will become like him. I'm not making it up. It's what John says. You will become like Jesus. And you may right now feel a million miles away from that. But that process is happening. It's often really slow. It's often really painful. We often take backward steps. But it's happening. The Gospels are full of incredible parables and analogies of the kingdom of heaven. It's like yeast in bread. You can't even see it. But it's at work. It's like a farmer that plants seeds. He goes to bed and he knows not how they grow, but he wakes up in the morning and things have grown. This is the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life. Eugene Peterson in the message says it like this, all of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. I love that. This is an incredible encouragement for us from John. Because he's telling us right now, in this very moment, because of God's love, you are a child of God. And he doesn't stop there, as we've said. He's not satisfied with encouraging us by telling you who you are in God. But he goes on to say that there will come a day in the future when you will see Jesus and you will be like him. And in this reflection... On the nature of God, there stands an invitation to us. As believers and members of God's family, the invitation is to holy living. The invitation is to reflect the life of Jesus in our lives. And you start by what you do behind closed doors. How are you going to start doing this? You start it in the secret place. You know, you read the book of Daniel. Where was Daniel rooted? He was rooted in his time alone with God. That is the work that God wants to do in our lives, that invitation. And out of that will flow such power through the kingdom. So I'm going to invite, invite the band up and we're going to move into a bit of a time of invitation. And I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say to you, I'm going to repeat the words that John uses. Come and see. Come and see what kind of love the Father has given us, has given you. Come and see what this love means for your life. Come and see this love that says you are a child of God. Come and see it. Maybe it feels like it's been quite a while since you saw it. Maybe you feel like you've never fully seen it. Come and see. Come and see this love that woos you and calls you 
into something greater than you would ever understand or realize. This love that gives you the power to overcome those things, that sin, that behavior that you've never been able to overcome. Come and see the love that will give you the power to do that. Come and see this love that tells you that one day you will be face to face with Jesus and you will become like him. I don't think I'll ever really understand what that means until I'm stood there on that day. But what a hope that gives us. Come and see. So why don't we stand and we'll welcome the Holy Spirit.